It is good to see all of you today. I think you guys are here. I miss being here last week, and um, we uh, were under the weather in our family, but uh, I'm very thankful Kevin's not here today because his family's under the weather, but uh, I was very thankful for Kevin for stepping in and preaching last week. I know he did a great job, and uh, he did it on very short notice, too. He only had a few days, really, to prepare for that, so I was very thankful for him and um, his diligence in the Word and being ready and ready to preach, but I'm very thankful to be with you guys as we get ready to continue worship through the preaching of God's Word. We also want to make mention of worship through giving, and uh, we pray that all the believers here that call this church home would consider God's call in His Word to give. Um, And collectively, we give for the ministry and the mission of the church. And if you are here today and you would like to do so, there's an offering box between the double doors in the back that you can utilize today to leave a gift of worship. Or you can use our church app to do that um, as well, um, if that is the method you prefer. I'm going to ask for God's help uh, in continuing to worship in His Word. And I'm going to ask that He would give us ears to hear today, as well as the ability to speak His Word, um, that gift to me, that I would be able to preach well, and that we would be able to hear well, because we need His help to do that. We need His help to be able to understand His Word. Very thankful for this group here, by the way. Emma wins the award for most visitors being brought to church in one day so far this year, so... um, Looks like we've got six. All right, so challenge is out there, guys, and see which ones of you can accept it. See if you can, you no. There's actually no belt or prize or anything. But um, you know, needless to say, I I don't mind doing that for man food. I don't think I want to do it for bringing visitors to church. But I am grateful for you guys being here today, and uh, very thankful. And I hope the camp and all that you guys have been doing this summer is going really well. So let's pray together, Father. Wait, uh, my prayer got interrupted. That's okay. What'd you say? We could. We could do that. We could make something. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I do thank you, God, for this gathering. Jesus, the, the theme that you have brought together this morning is that of freedom, deliverance in your name. And I pray that you who know every heart and mind in this room, you know our needs Your spirit is in us that knows the will of God. If we are a believer, if we have been saved by grace through faith, your spirit is in us and and your spirit knows the will of God for our life and your spirit knows all of our needs. And so I pray that you would meet those needs today and that you would grant freedom in this room. Whatever is needed, God, whatever is holding someone captive, that today by the power of your spirit and your word, that you would provide freedom. And Jesus, I pray for your name to be sustained over this church. We, we studied in Revelation how it is a gift to have a lampstand in a community. And that lampstand can be removed. We ask that it never would from this church. Not for the glory of this church, but for the glory of your name. That you would place your name over and in this church. And that your name would go out from this church. That you would look at Agape and you would say, mine. And that we 
would be led to abide in you always. And as Josh has encouraged us today, and as Lamar read, that we would put on the characteristics by the power of the Spirit of what it means to be a believer. And that we would not just hear your word, but we would do it. We would live in the enjoyment of being a Christ follower, of having the name of Jesus over our lives, but we would also enjoy taking the name of Jesus to others. I pray today, God, that you would equip us with all that is needed, whether it is the desire to do that or something that we lack in understanding or equipping that you would provide what we need. And Jesus, that your name would be powerful in our midst, even today. I ask that you would be with us as we worship in your word. That you'd give me the ability to speak not so well that your word is stripped of its power, that people put trust in me, but well enough that I'm not a distraction to anyone. And I pray that you would put a guard over my lips to not say anything that I shouldn't, but give me the words to speak in explaining and talking about your word. And I ask that you would give us ears to hear. That truths would sink into our heart and bear much fruit, even beginning right now. We love you and we thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have obviously been going through Proverbs as a church for um, several months and we're going to be finishing up our study of the book of Proverbs over the next few weeks and what we are doing as we finish up this series is we're, we're taking a look at collections of the wise sayings that run from chapter 10 to chapter 31 in the book of Proverbs. And so we're looking at some topics related to collections of those wise sayings. And today we're talking about the topic of family. It is the wisdom of God to place us in families. It is the wisdom of God to place us in families of different kinds. We are not intended to live life in isolation. We are not intended to live life in a solitary way. It is the wisdom of God to place us in a group that loves us and that we love, that invest in us and that we invest in. That is the wisdom of God. And each family that He has placed us in is intended to point us to the eternal family that we're a part of when we come to know Jesus. And so it is vitally important for us to know how to live wisely in the context of family. The different kinds that God has ordained for us. And so to start that journey of understanding how to live wisely in a family, we want to look to Jesus. Because we can see in the life of Jesus, the wisdom of God the wisdom of family unfolding in the life of Christ. And we can learn how we are to live by looking at the life of Jesus. If you're a note taker and you grab one of our worship guides off the table, uh, let's fill in this life truth to begin this morning. Through the life of Jesus, we see family that is created by birth, family created by providence, 
and family created by the gospel. Jesus cherishes his family. And people of wisdom will strive to do the same. In God's wisdom, we see those three types of family in and through the life of Jesus. First, the family created by birth. Jesus was born into a family. He was born to a virgin, Mary, who was betrothed to be married to a man named Joseph. And Jesus grew up in their home, in their family. We don't know a lot about the the early life of Jesus, but we do see signs that even when He was young, He had an understanding of who He was. Yet, Luke tells us He was still submissive to His parents. And under their care, He grew up increasing in wisdom and increasing in stature. He learned His Father's trade. His dad was a carpenter. Jesus is referred to in the Gospels as a carpenter. His public ministry started when he was around 30. So from a young age up until that point, he had a trade. As a matter of fact, people knew him. That was some of the, that was some of the, uh, the obstacles that there were to some people coming to know Jesus and believe in him. Because they said, isn't that the carpenter? Carpenters in the first century, probably like a handyman. Him and his dad were in and out of homes, perhaps, and in the, in the towns, fixing, repairing, building, creating. He learned his dad's trade. That was the family that he was born into. He was a sibling. Mary and Joseph had other kids. Jesus had at least four half-brothers and a couple of sisters, at least. So we know that he was at least one of seven children in the home. So he learned what it meant to be a sibling, to live among brothers and sisters. So we see that birth family in the life of Jesus. We also see through Jesus that he affirms the beauty and the value of family created by providence. What do I mean by that? When I say family created by providence, I mean family that is created after you were born. Family that God brings you into in a variety of ways that He places you in. Children grow up and many lead their own families that God ordains. So a family of providence is one created by marriage. Or you have children or you adopt children. Jesus knew these families were important. He affirmed the importance of these families. Jesus told The church, through Paul, he warned them that believers who do not provide for their relatives, especially the members of their own household, are living disconnected from their faith. And he says they're even worse than unbelievers. Because unbelievers who don't take care of their family, they probably don't know any better. But Christians, they should. So Jesus affirmed the value of a providential family. A family of providence is also made up of people that God brings into your life who become like family to you. You may have people in your life who have served as a father figure or a a mother figure or like a brother or a sister. God has brought them into your life and they become like family, close like family. That is a providential family. This is probably especially true of those that you may disciple or people who have discipled you. If you have the honor of being a long-term discipler of someone, or if you had 
the honor of being discipled by someone long term, that relationship is probably very much like a father or a mother type relationship. Sometimes the providential family are those that God gives you to care for who are in need. We actually see this type of providential family created by Jesus at the cross. Because while Jesus was dying, He presented His own mother, a widow by that point, to His best friend and disciple John. And He says to His mother, from now on, this, this is your son. And He looked to John and He said, from now on, this is your mother. Jesus created this providential family. He, as the oldest sibling, would have had the responsibility of taking care of his mother. And at the cross, he gave that responsibility to John, even though he had at least four brothers. We don't know why he did that, but he chose to give the care of his mom to John. And the Bible says, from that moment on, John took the mother of Jesus into his home and cared for her. It's a providential family that Jesus created. So he affirms the value of that. And then finally... We see in the life of Jesus the family created by the Gospel. For Jesus, the family of birth and the family of providence are surpassed in importance by the family created when we believe the Gospel and become children of God. Let me say it very directly. Whether you have had a good experience in your birth family or family of providence or you've had, you've had a good experience there or a bad experience... Either way, the most important family you will ever be a part of is the family of God. That's the most important one. It is the one that is eternal. Jesus said in His teaching that sometimes following Him would mean you would have to separate from your natural family. Sometimes loving and being faithful to Jesus will mean that there is a sword that is divided between a mother and a daughter, a father and a son, between siblings. Not because we separate ourselves from unbelievers and don't want anything to do with them, far from that, but because our faithfulness to Christ and His Word may create a type of division with someone who doesn't have that belief and that love for the gospel and jesus said that's going to happen and when it does you remain faithful to him and to his ecclesia to the gathered people of god the church he said that the true family is the one made up of those who do do the will of his father and we do the will of the father by believing upon jesus and by loving the family that He has placed us in. Today, from His throne, right now, Jesus cherishes His family. Right now, as we speak, He is exercising care and affection and protection over the people of God. We sang these incredible songs today about the name of Jesus. He is the one who leads us and sustains us and helps us And wise people, we want to be like Jesus. We want to cherish the families that He has placed us in. We want to do everything we can within our power to cherish the family that God has ordained for us.
the ones created by birth, if possible, created by providence, but especially those created by believing the gospel, the church. So the question before us this morning is how do we cherish our family? Because we may all agree with that. But if we were to go around the room and say, well, how do you cherish your family? We may get a lot of different answers. Proverbs has a lot to say on this subject. If you've been reading the wise sayings, you've seen a lot of Proverbs related to family. Proverbs gives us practical knowledge and understanding on how to live as Christ. Remember, Jesus is the man of wisdom. All of Proverbs is fulfilled in Him. So what we see in Proverbs was fulfilled in Jesus, and that's how we're to live. So we're going to go through seven ways from Proverbs that we can cherish our family. But as we do that, I want to ask you to look for the parallel in each one of these, the parallel from Proverbs to the New Testament. And the parallel I want you to look for is the command of Proverbs to the natural and providential families and how those commands are paralleled in the New Testament to the commands given to the church. I want you to see how the instructions of how we're to live in our natural families or our providential families is actually supposed to point us to how we're to live together as the people of God in the church. Specifically, agape. Those of you who are members of this church, this is the place God has put you. This is the place that He has ordained for you to be. This is the group of people that He is calling you to live out these commands. If you're a visitor, whatever your home church is, wherever you make your home, and every believer should have a home church, that is the group of people that God has ordained for you in this season of your life to live out these commands for family. And So I pray that He gives us help and encouragement in that as we go. I probably should not have done seven of these. So I'm going to move through them as quickly as, as I can. Um, let's see how it goes. So, you cherish your family. What do we see from Proverbs? First of all, you cherish your family by setting an example. You cherish your family by setting an example. The sermon text that I use for today is from Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. We read this a couple of weeks ago, but... The very first part, by wisdom, a house is built. Everything that we're talking about today, how do we live as the people of God? It all is based on being a person of wisdom. Anything you want to build in your life, anything you want to do in your life, you need wisdom. It should be built on wisdom. So to cherish your family, if you want to be a person that cherishes your family, it doesn't start externally. It starts internally. Before you ever get to things like quality time and energy spent and material gifts given, you must start with your own character. The greatest gift you can ever give your family is to live like Jesus around them and among them. Everything starts with your relationship with Him. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. 
Living an upright life in Christ, abiding in Jesus, is the greatest blessing you can ever give your family. And it isn't just going to impact your family today that you may live with or encounter, but it's going to impact generations of your family that come later. When you live as Christ lives... Proverbs 23, 26, and I have all these in your notes, so you can go back and look at them later, but 23, 26 says that parents should try to gain the hearts of their children by setting an example for them. The aim of parenting is not simply to conform our children to a certain type of behavior. You can make your children behave to an extent, but not be godly. The role of a parent is to try to gain the heart of a child. And Proverbs says the way you do that is begin by setting an example. And you say, well, I, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not good at setting the example. I fail so often. Yes. And you set an example by, for them by showing them what to do when you fail. Because they will fail too. Older siblings... You set an example for the younger siblings in your family. They look up to you. They see the example you set. Husbands and wives set examples for one another. Even in this room, if you're an adult, how many times as an adult have you been blessed watching the faith of a child being lived out? I don't think it's a stretch to say that every person in this room is being watched by someone. And you have this opportunity to set an example. And in doing, in doing so, you show you cherish your family. Because you're trying to live into a character of Christ, not just for your own gain, but for the gain of those around you. So then you get to the New Testament. And what do you see in the New Testament? You see Paul tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you because you're young, but set for the believers an example. So Timothy was a young leader. And Paul said, you're going to have people that will probably challenge you just because you're young. Don't argue with them. Don't even rebuke them. Set an example for them. He said, set an example for them by the way that you speak. Set an example for them by the way that you conduct your life. Set an example for them by how you love. Set an example for them by your faith. Set an example for them by your purity. So that was taught for leaders, but it's also a command for every person in the church. What you do privately to love God is the foundation of how you love your neighbor. You can never love your neighbor well if you are not privately personally loving God first. The Christian life, so many times, we, we try to live that Christian life by saying, am I allowed to do that? Is that permissible for me? And what the Bible says is, it's, it's not always about what's allowed and what's permissible, it's about what's best. You should know and think that you are setting an example for others. And you should conduct yourself in that way. That is how you cherish your family. Secondly, 
You cherish your family by intentionally investing in them. So it is not just setting an example. Setting an example is the foundation, but it's not the end. When you cherish your family, when you have affection for someone, you want to invest in their lives. You want to invest in them that they might be helped, that they might be blessed through you. So this is our work to train other people in godly living. We are called to that. It is not just for pastors and teachers to do. It is for every believer that we train other people in how to live godly lives. And in Proverbs, this is certainly presented for parents to children. In Proverbs 19.18, parents are told, Discipline your children, because if you don't discipline your children, it is like you're setting your heart to put them to death. Now, I think it is really, really important for us to understand that what we're called to as parents, and one day if you are blessed to be a parent, is to discipline your children. I won't argue over terms, but I think we would do well to remove the term punishment from our vocabulary as parents. Punishment is about payback. Punishment is about wrath. Punishment is saying, you did this to me. You broke my rule, so now I'm going to pay you back and I'm going to do this to you. That is not the heart of a parent. The heart of a parent is to discipline. What word do you hear in discipline? Disciple. It is to train. We are to train our children because the majority of their life they will live outside our home. What we do when we correct them, and we should correct them, is so that they are trained. Now, if you're a child and your parent disciplines you, it may not feel any different than if you're being punished. (laughs) The method may not change. But the heart behind it is extremely important. And that brings us to the most perhaps well-known and most confusing proverb. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think that is the most used proverb when it comes to parenting books and literature i say it's the most confusing because there are so many parents who look at that and say i trained my child up but they are not living the life that i trained them to live that word train up literally means dedicate a child to wisdom it is not a promise that they will follow the path that you point them to Every person must decide that for themselves. If it was as simple as training up a child and they would be wise people, we wouldn't need all of these instructions about how to live wisely as adults. I think what this verse is, though, is a principle. That when you dedicate a child to the way they should go, their whole life, they will always be confronted with what you train them in, no matter how they choose to live. They'll never be able to get away from it. It will always be there as a foundation, as a remembrance. They will always be confronted with how you trained them and what you pointed them to. Proverbs also shows this going beyond the family and parents and children. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 tells us, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. In other words, it is better 
to go to someone and correct them than to say you love them and not act when you see them going down a path that they shouldn't go down. That proverb goes on to say, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Someone who only tells you everything you want to hear is not loving you well. That's what an enemy does. They flatter you. Friends will wound you sometimes. They will wound you. Not to, we're not talking about where people get angry and say things they shouldn't. We're talking about friends will come to you to correct or to warn you. And sometimes you will be wounded, but those are faithful wounds. Because they're coming from someone who loves you and cares for you. When you get to the New Testament, how does this work out? It's what Lamar read for us this morning in Colossians 3. Here's the command to the family of God, the church. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We teach through singing. You cannot teach anyone or admonish anyone unless you are abiding in Christ and His Word is abiding in you. You have nothing to teach otherwise. But you remain in the Word and you abide in the Word and the Word gets in you and then you have something to teach and admonish the family of God. That isn't just a role for a pastor. That is for all of us to love each other well. Encouraging, exhorting, teaching, and when needed, correcting. So, we cherish our families setting an example. We cherish our families by intentionally investing. We cherish our families, number three, by listening well. We cherish family by listening to those who are trying to invest in us. To have someone pouring truth from their life into your life and for you to ignore what they're saying without giving it any thought is not just disrespect, it is a type of disdain. Now, you're not always going to follow what you are counseled in. And it doesn't mean that what someone says you should do is always the right path for you to follow. But you should listen to them. If they love you and they're godly, you should listen. You should consider what they are saying. Children in this room or watching this on replay, you cherish your parents. You show that you cherish your parents by listening to them. Proverbs says you can bring sorrow to the heart of your parents or you can bring joy to the heart of your parents by how you treat their instruction. Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a glad father. A foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Proverbs 23.15-16 says, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Listening to your parents is not about just about respect. It is one of the ways that God designed for you to bless your parents. To give them joy. Even the most godly of parents are not always going to be right. But you have a role that you have been given, ordained by God in how you respond to them when they try to teach you. And that is not just true in the family, it's true in the church. John, 
when he writes one of his letters, 2 John chapter 1, verse 4, John says this. He's writing to one of the local churches and he said, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth in keeping with the command that we've received from the Father. So children here in 2 John are members of a local church. John, in his travels, encountered some members of a particular local church. We're really not told what that church the name is or who it was, but John encountered them. And he had such a profound encounter with this congregation of believers that he felt compelled to write a letter to the church. And to say, I ran into some members of your church and they were walking in truth and I was so glad of that and I want to write you and tell you about that encounter that I had. See, we gladden or sadden the hearts of people who disciple us by whether or not we listen to them. People who invest in us through teaching and exhortation and rebuke, how we respond to their faithful labor can make them glad or make them sorrowful. We show we cherish those among us in the family of God by listening well to one another. Number four, we show we cherish our family by practicing patience and contentment. We show we cherish our family by practicing patience and contentment. One of the hindrances, I think, to cherishing your family is when you're not patient with where God has placed you and you're not content with what you have. Here's how I think that works its way into our lives sometimes. In adults, when we're not patient and we're not content, we end up so busy trying to build our family's future that we don't enjoy our family's present. We're so focused on where we want to get to and the season that we hope for that we miss out on all the joys of the season that we're in right now. Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth, but be discerning enough to desist. Now, Proverbs there is not saying don't work, because if you've read the wise sayings, you know it expects you to work and work diligently and not be a lazy, apathetic sluggard. But what Proverbs is saying is don't work trying to get rich. No when enough is enough. Know when you need to stop working and enjoy your family. Enjoy your calling. Enjoy what God is doing in your life. Providing for your family is a godly thing. Trying to better yourself is a godly thing. Trying to work to achieve goals is a godly thing. Unless you put those things on a pedestal to where your family suffers for it. Life moves very, very quickly. And sometimes we miss out on the beauty of a season because we're so eager for another one. Now, young people do this too. You get in a big hurry to grow up. And trust me, I know because I remember that. Now I kind of wish I'd stop growing up a little bit. Not maturing, but just age-wise. You're young and you can't wait to be on your own. 
Can't wait to have your own life and do your own things and make your own decisions. I used to be a youth pastor. I remember teens telling me, I can't wait until I don't have to ask my parents about these things. I would challenge them on that, by the way. (laughs) But sometimes, even when we're young, we're in such a hurry to move to the next season, we don't cherish what we have in this season. You should look to the future. You should start preparing. If you're a young adult or even an older teen and you know one day that you want to be married, you should start preparing for that now by pursuing wisdom. I'm not saying don't look ahead. I am saying, though, sometimes we look so far ahead we don't cherish what we have. Proverbs 20, verse 20 and 21 says, An inheritance gained hastily, in other words, before its time, in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. In the Bible, you gained your inheritance when your parents died. Today, we may gain our inheritance when we leave our home. If we're in too big of a hurry for that, we can end up losing out in the end and not getting to enjoy it. I've told a lot of young men over time in personal counseling I've said it here from this podium a few times, but the regret of my life is, one of the regrets, is that I didn't cherish my relationship with my dad when I really had a time to do that. When I met Allison, I was, I was all in. And look, I should have been. To, like I should have been pursuing her and loving her and pursuing her, no doubt. But I completely shunned my dad during that season because I thought I had plenty of time. I didn't know he was going to pass away when I was in my early 20s. I wish I'd listened to him more, sought him out more, spent more time with him, made time for that. If you're in this room and that is still your opportunity, do it. It is wisdom to cherish your family. Paul tells the church in the New Testament parallel to this, 1 Timothy 6.6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. If leaders of a church are not content with where God has put them, they will not lead very well. That doesn't mean God doesn't move people around or He doesn't move leaders around, but sometimes leaders get so focused on the next place they want to get to that their congregation, their, their people suffer. Sometimes that's true in the congregation. Sometimes in a church things are not going well and we look for greener pastures rather than just watering the ground where we are. Sometimes we have to move. Sometimes we need to move. But sometimes we will miss out on the beauty of the gospel life because we're not content and we're not pursuing God's instructions. Practicing patience and contentment wherever God has placed you is a way that you cherish your family. Three more. We cherish our family by being faithful. We cherish one another by being faithful to one another. We cherish one another by being faithful to the promises we've made to one another. We should definitely think here of marriage. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many men proclaim their steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. 
In other words, Proverbs says, there's a lot of guys who say they're faithful men. Where are they? If you are wise, <laughs> I got some nods. If you are wise, <laughs> if you are wise, you will be faithful. Proverbs 12.4 says, A wife of noble character is the crown of her husband. At every wedding that I oversee, I end the same way. With a quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. From this moment on, it is not your love that sustains your promises. From this moment on, it must be your promise to one another that will sustain your love. Because there's going to be times in marriage where you don't feel love. The promise you have made to each other is the promise that you are to keep in being faithful to one another. You get to Ephesians in the New Testament. Paul's giving instructions about marriage. He says, He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes his flesh, just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. So notice what it says. A husband who loves his wife loves himself. He nourishes and cherishes his wife just as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of His body. So that connection is clear. Husbands and wives love each other and honor each other as a way of cherishing one another. And in doing that, they cherish one another the way Christ cherishes the church. Which means, church, Christ cherishes you, and He cherishes the people around you. And to love and live like Christ means we cherish the people around us. Doesn't mean we always get along with them. Doesn't mean we're not going to have misunderstandings and difficulties. That's part of the gospel life. Part of the gospel life is working through difficulties, working through challenges, and doing the things to seek peace, which is the next way we cherish our family. Number six, I believe, we cherish our family by seeking peace. You cherish others who are in your family, created by birth, if possible, providence, and the church by seeking peace with them. I said, if possible, because it's not always possible to have peace with others. Because it's a two-way street. But the New Testament says, do everything you can to try and have peace. Proverbs 17.1 says, better a dry morsel with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. In other words, it's better to not have that much but have a peaceful home than to have a whole lot but always be arguing. Proverbs 27.15 says, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Men, do not elbow your <laughs> wife. Remember in Proverbs, there are character types that are used. So remember throughout Proverbs, there's lady wisdom and lady folly. That doesn't mean that we're to not... Men cannot be men of wisdom or men of folly. If you're a wife in this room or you're one day a wife and you read that passage, you should pay attention, but so should men. 
What good will it do for a wife to seek peace if her husband is the quarrelsome one? Here's what I think the point is. In your family, seek peace. In your family, you know what is likely to lead to a quarrel. If you can, abstain from that. Like, don't do it. I realize it's a shiny red button and you just sometimes want to go, like, don't. Now, I'm not saying sweep things under the rug. I'm not saying don't deal with things. That's not going to lead to peace. But you probably know the time to deal with things and the time not to. You probably know the way to deal with it and the way not to. So do those things. Don't be quarrelsome. Children are like that too. Parents are like that. Look, as parents, sometimes the Bible says, don't exasperate your children. We do things to make our children mad, then we discipline them when they get mad and angry. Right? You guys laugh at my jokes. Come back, please. If you're in the area, come here. If you're not in the area, come here. All right. Learn from your mistakes and keep going. Among your providential family, Proverbs 25, verse 8 and 10. This is a little long, but it's worth, it's worth noting. Proverbs 25, 8 and 10 says, What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another's secret lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute will have no end. What Proverbs says is, at times you're going to have conflict with your neighbor, with this family of God that He's put you in. Don't immediately take that conflict to the court of public opinion. Don't immediately involve other people in that. Go to the person and address it with them. If you don't, you may find that they prove you wrong. You may find that you get a bad reputation. Proverbs tells us that gossip is like a tasty morsel. There's, there's nobody, there's not a lot of people who can with integrity say, I don't enjoy hearing gossip. There's something about us that if it's something interesting or secretive, like we want to know about it. The Bible says, if your neighbor has done something to offend you, go to your neighbor. Other people don't need to know about that. There may be times where you go to a trusted friend or a counselor and you say, can you help me understand the best way to approach this person? But if you've went to 12 trusted counselors, that's a bit much. All right? Seek peace. Don't gossip. Don't stir up strife. Don't share what you heard. You hear someone talking bad about someone else, don't go to the person they were talking bad about and share what you heard. Go to the person who was sharing it and say, hey, I don't know that you should be doing that. Don't provide room for quarrels. If possible, let things go. It's not always healthy to let things go. It's not always healthy to bury things. So go to that person and deal with it for the sake of peace. What does the New Testament tell us? 
What does Colossians say? What did Lamar read for us this morning? Put on. Church of God. Agape, put on. As God's chosen people, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Patience. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. These are the things that are wise in a family. This is how we live as a wise family. We're compassionate to each other. We're kind to each other. We're patient with one another. We're meek toward one another. Humble toward one another. When we offend, we forgive. Why? Because God has forgiven us. How many times do we forgive? How many times do you want to be forgiven? Seek peace. It is hard. It is hard. It's difficult. It's easy to sometimes send a text or an email or post something on social media. It's hard to go to someone face to face and see their eyes and hear their voice and speak to them. But it is the tools God has given us to seek peace with one another. Do that in the family that you're put in, including your church family. Finally, we cherish one another by serving. We cherish one another by serving one another. You cherish one another through service. Every family represented in this room would be blessed if the members of that family took the time and the energy to consider, how can I serve? I'll raise my hand. Look, I'm, I, I struggle with this. We get into our routine. We get into our week. And I think about things in terms of responsibility. What's it my responsibility to do? What if our attitude was, but how could I serve? Sometimes we'll ask the kids to do something, and they say, well, but that's not my chore. That's not my job. And we'll correct them. But as adults, we do that too. We bless one another by serving one another. We cherish one another by serving one another. Not by what we have to do, but what we can do. Especially when we see a family member that's struggling. Proverbs says, chapter 17, verse 17, a brother is born for adversity. If you're lucky enough to have a sibling, part of the goal, part of the aim there is to be there for one another in difficult times. Proverbs 27.10 says, this is, sounds a little odd at first, but it says, don't go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. In other words, you should have fostered relationships and be in a community and in a place that you don't have to go far away to a family member in the midst of your trial, but you have someone's home you can go to nearby. And people in your community should be welcome in your home in the time of their trouble. Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. 
And the sweetness of a friend comes from their earnest counsel. Like God has given us material things that can gladden our heart, the earnest counsel of a friend will gladden our heart. We serve one another giving earnest counsel. We serve one another when sometimes in the midst of your day, some, a name comes to mind and you think, I should reach out to them. And then you, you're like, I'll do that later. And you never get back to it. If you can, stop that moment. Text, call, whatever it may be. That may have been the Holy Spirit's urging for you. Encourage this person they need it. And He's choosing you to do that. And if you say, well, what if I'm wrong? What'd you lose? You encourage someone. That's always good. Galatians 5. I had this in my notes before we came here today, before I saw and understood the, the lyrics of these songs. I listened to them all day yesterday, by the way, because I knew they were new. And so I listened to the playlist that we put in the newsletter. And it never registered with me until this morning. For you were called to freedom, church. If you were a prisoner for years and years and years in a prison and your life was behind bars and you couldn't go where you wanted, you couldn't do what you wanted, you were told where to go and what to do for decades. And one day someone came, they opened the bars of the jail and they said, you have been found not guilty, you are free. What would you do? What would you do with that freedom? In a spiritual sense, before Christ, you are a prisoner. You're a prisoner to your passions of your flesh. You're a prisoner to a worldly way of thinking. You are a prisoner to your own desires. And if you come to know Christ by grace through faith and you ask Him to forgive you of your sins, you are set free. Your sins are forgiven, they are no longer an issue. You have been found eternally not guilty of what you have done and what you will do when you're in Christ. Now the question before you is, what do you do with that freedom? Do you take that freedom and say, good, I get to go and sin more? The Bible says no. That shows you don't cherish the gift. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Don't use the opportunity and the freedom you've been given to do the things that put you in prison to begin with. Use your freedom to radically love and serve each other with the gifts and the grace and the talents that God has given you. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want to ask the worship team if they'll come up. God in His wisdom has placed us in families. All of you in this room probably had different experiences in family. Your birth family is a great source of joy and peace and happiness to you even to this day. Or perhaps it is one of great challenge and stress and sorrow. You may have had good experience with providential families. Strong marriages and 
relationships with your kids, mentors and disciples, or perhaps those providential families have also been challenging, difficult, broken. Maybe you've never really had someone come alongside of you and disciple you and pour into you. It is important for you to know that no matter what your experience with those families, what we said at the beginning, the most important family is the family of God. And you are invited in. Every person in this room, you are invited into the family of God. And your entry point is not what you do. It is not what you've done. It's not what you bring. It's not what you come to the table with. It's not what you've accomplished. It's not your name. It's not who you are. Your entry point is saying, I believe Jesus Christ was the Son of God who died for my sins and I want to receive His forgiveness. And you cry out to Him in prayer with your words. And He puts His name on your life. From now on, Jesus says, they're mine. That's my daughter. Or that's my sister. That's my brother. And from His sacrifice, He brings you into the family of God and God becomes your Father. No matter what the world says, not every human being is a child of God. That term is reserved for the people who place their faith in Jesus. And you are placed inside of a family. Every believer is called to be a part of a local community of faith. Not so you can just have religious practice, but so you can live out the family instructions and learn what it means to be a part of a gospel-centered community. So I ask the guys to bring the lights down. I want to invite you this morning to respond to the Word of God. One of the ways you can respond is by having someone pray for you. To my left, in just a moment, there's going to be some prayer partners. They are standing up here for one reason, to pray for you about anything. I specifically want to point you this morning to freedom. If you are entrapped by something today, spiritually, you probably know what it is. Today may be the day... God is calling you to receive freedom. You may turn around and kneel where you are. You may bow your head and pray. You may come up to the front and pray. But you may just want someone to hear someone praying for you about those things. And it may be about something else. It may be physical healing. We believe in that here. It may be about cherishing family better. Maybe about your marriage or your parenting or your kids. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is among His people. So I don't have to tell you what it is that you need to do. I just ask you to respond. Don't just hear, but do. Respond to Christ in what He's saying. You are here today, not by accident. He ordained it. Not because I'm anything, or we're anything. 
But for this to be sung and prayed and preached, He placed you here to hear it. So respond. My only ask of you is this. If you're struggling in your relationship with the Lord, if you don't even know what that looks like, if you've wandered from Him, or if you don't even know if you ever have come to know Him, before you leave today, would you let me know that? And what I'm going to do is make a time to talk with you. Talk about what's going on. If you've never come to know Christ, receive Him today. Pray for Him to come into your heart, to your life, to be your Savior. And then be baptized as a public display and a public external crying out of what's happening in your heart internally. If you're already a believer, take the next obedient step, whatever He's calling you to. Father, this morning I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You have placed us in Proverbs at the right time. We need Your wisdom. God, help us to cherish our families. Where possible to have peace with them, to love them, to honor them, to serve them, to listen to them, to lead them well. God, speak to us on how to do that. But God, above all things, make every person in this room a member of Your family, God, through faith. Please, and give us the heart to love and honor and cherish one another as the family of God. Please help us. It is your wisdom for us to be in, the, in families. It's your wisdom for us to love each other according to your word. The law is wrapped up. Love God and love your neighbor. Father, I pray in your wisdom, if you are willing that you would expand this family. That you would do so because the lost are being found. That you are calling people to yourself to be saved. And God, if you choose, place some of those new believers right here in this church that they could be a part of this family and that we could love them well. God, let there be peace in this church. Let there be unity here. Let us put on the attributes of Jesus that are wise, that we may live as He has intended, that His name would be on this church, and His name would be in this church, and that His name would go out from this church. That just like they did in the day of John, that if someone were to encounter someone from this congregation, because of the work of Jesus, they would be blessed. Jesus, I pray today that You would set us free whatever freedom is needed, that You would set us free today. And that You would set us free that we would love and serve You with all of our heart. Destroy sin today, God. Destroy depression, addiction. Destroy unfaithfulness and harshness and sinful anger. Destroy our temptations. Help us to overcome them, God. Give us freedom to serve. We love you and we need you. In your name we pray. Amen.